When have you felt the nearness of God? What scene of your life comes to mind first? Let's talk about that today because our guest says, God is intimately involved with every nuance of our lives. And while we can believe God is all-powerful and that he is all-knowing, his nearness, his presence is often something that we don't sense. What do you do with the perceived silence of God? What do you do with the feeling that God feels a million miles away? Is it because we're so feeling-oriented that we don't sense his presence? Do we need more faith to overcome that? Susie Larson is back, author, speaker, radio host. And my question to you on Facebook is that, when have you felt the nearness of God? I have a conjecture about the, some of the answers we're going to get today, but let's get going. If you want to call us, 877-548-3675. Let me thank our team assembled here on this Thanksgiving week, the first day on Monday. Brian McConaughey is doing all things technical. Trish is our producer. Gabby T's in the chair. Anthony will be answering your calls. Program note for the rest of the week. Tomorrow, you're going to hear the voice of none other than Johnny Erickson. Ta-da! We'll talk about practicing God's presence. So today and tomorrow, it's considering God's nearness and God's presence. For Johnny, her experience has been in the middle of a whole lot of suffering. Wednesday and Thursday, it's all thankfulness all the time. I caught up with Dr. Leland Riken last week. And he has a cornucopia of poems, hymns, biblical texts, and writing about giving thanks all the way back to the Puritans and Abraham Lincoln and more. Thanksgiving Day, we have a best of conversation. And then we're going to Arkadelphia, Arkansas on Friday. So trust me, don't miss the conversations this week. And I want to say a special thanks to Backfence friends and partners who support these visits Uh, We can't do what we do here without you, so thank you for getting involved. This month, we're giving my new novel, Saving Grayson, as a thank you. It happened again this morning. I was a guest on a podcast, and the host said to me, the topic of Alzheimer's and dementia is really personal to me because my father died of Alzheimer's. And that's what I'm hearing people say. Everybody has a story. Everybody knows someone or some family who's walking through that long goodbye or has walked through it and they're dealing with the after effects. And I hope this story encourages you, comforts you, shows you a little of the grace and the mercy available from the heart of God, the presence of God in the middle of that. Grayson's big question is, does God forgive the sins I can't remember? I want to send you a copy of the novel. Give a gift of any size, 866-953-2279. We'll send it to you. Do it this week if you can before Thanksgiving so that uh, we can get closer to our goal before the end of the month. 866-95-FABRY. Or if you go to the website, you can give right there. ChrisFabryLive.org. ChrisFabryLive.org. Thanks for being a friend or partner with us. Susie Larson's a best-selling author, national speaker, host of Susie Larson Live on Faith Radio. She's sat in here for me uh, a number of times. She's written more than 20 books and devotionals. Her daily blessings reach more than half a million people each week. She's been married to Kevin since 1985, three sons, three daughters-in-law. Oh, I can only imagine what it's going to be like on Thanksgiving. Featured resource today is Closer Than Your Next Breath, 
Where's God When You Need Him Most? You can find it at chrisfabrylive.org. Susie, welcome back. How are you doing today? Doing well, Chris, and what an honor it is to be back with you again today. Thanks for having me. What's uh, Thanksgiving going to be like? You staying home this year? Well, we've I'm from a very large family, and so every other year uh, we get together. So this is the on year for my extended family. So there will be about 60 of us getting together and uh, at my sister's house. Six, wait a minute. Wait a minute. 60 of yeah, you? Yeah. Yes. It's a huge – yeah, so they, you know, put – tables out in the garage and in the basement and upstairs. And we're kind of just, we cram in, but I'll tell you, my mom turns 91 this week. That mother of mine still can bowl 175. She's at age <laughs> no, 91, little cannot. tiny spitfire of a girl. But, you know, she's just been getting the sense, you know, even though she's healthy, she's got her faculties. She's in Bible study every week, Bridge Club. I'm telling you, she blows me away. But she's been uh, purging her house and just getting a sense. We're getting the sense that she's getting the sense that her days might be numbered. And so she begged for as many as possible to come all together on the on year this year and to get a family picture. So we're going to gather everybody together and Photoshop in those who aren't making it. And uh, so looking so forward to that. That is going to be neat. And I, you know, over the weekend saw the news about Rosalind Carter and uh, she'd been in hospice, then she passed away. And President Carter, Jimmy Carter, was in hospice as well. And somebody this morning sent me a picture and said that he had been there when this happened. It was after the the presidency, and they moved out of the White House and back to Plains. But there's a picture of Rosalind and Jimmy, and they're working on the very first Habitat for Humanity house. Mm. And there's just this uh, – Jimmy's looking the other way. He's framing out the house. But Rosalind is looking right at the camera, and she looks so young and so vibrant. She got these bell bottoms on, and a Habitat for Humanity shirt on, and then the you know, the thing where you carry all the tools and all that kind of stuff. And it just showed it was almost like that's when she and her husband came alive. It was after all the political stuff stuff wow. was over, and they just. They just started working, just started building houses for people and doing that kind of thing. So I, I was saddened by that news over the weekend. Mm. Yeah, it is. You know, we have this one life and it's short. And I always say life is short, eternity is long. But really how we live here does reverberate and echo into how we live in eternity. And uh, what we know about God, what we think about God uh, really does impact how we view him and ourselves and our story, you know. And what the Word says to us. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on is because that um, you're not talking about a mystical thing here, the presence of God. You're talking about how how God um, comes to us through the Word, through the Word made flesh. Let, Let me just read a little bit from this book, Closer Than Your Next Breath. You write, though his presence is wonderful, it's not always understandable. If God is everywhere all the time, why do some feel his presence more than other, more often than others? And what difference does the presence of God make in our lives today if we can't feel him? If every good gift comes from God, is feeling good the same as feeling God? When the worship team hits a chord progression that makes everyone want to raise their hands, is that God? Might it be for some, but not for others? There's nothing like God's presence. Maybe that's why we sometimes chase the sensational but miss the supernatural. We want to experience again what we experienced then. But in the process, might we rush 
right by the nuanced, miraculous ways God is showing up in our stories? That's really good. Talk about what you wrote there. Thank you so much. You know, really, if you step back, what the book is about is the character of God, because I'm making a case based on God's Word for His character. And the thing is, we're so emotionally driven, and it is amazing. When God intersects your story and you sense Him and feel Him, I feel like those are glimpses and tastes of things to come. But so often, if you have a moment like that, you do start to go from one event to the next, try to recreate what happened then. Because even the psalmist said, you know, one day in your presence is better than a thousand anywhere else. But if we live by hides, you know, from one high to the next or one event to the next, we truly miss the character of God. And His nearness is our good, whether we feel Him or not. And, you know, the best way I can explain it is my husband. I've been married to him for 38 years, and he is the most steady, sturdy, consistent, patient man, I, person I've ever known. So if you told me, Chris, you saw him at the local McDonald's and, you know, an old lady butted in front of him and he punched her, <laughs> I would say, well, you, you got the wrong guy. I, there's no doubt in my mind you got the wrong guy. I know this man and he would never, ever in a million years do that. Well, in the same way, uh, when we know the character of God based on the Word of God, we can trust him in the silent seasons because everybody goes through them. But when you start to, when, when his goodness is up for grabs, when his consistency is up for grabs, and then you go through a shaking, you go through the seasons, sometimes they're like dark nights of the soul, that enemy can get in there and, and bait you into accusing God of the things that he's actually guilty of. So I'm trying to answer a lot of questions around the presence of God, but all based on what we know about the character of God. That's good. And so I'm going to open the phone lines today at 877-548-3675. And if you have an answer to that question, when have you felt the nearness of God I'd love to hear from you. 877-548-3675. There's folks answering on Facebook. You can do that as well. Just go to chrisfabrylive.org to find out more. Susie Larson is with us. More straight ahead. When have you felt the nearness of God? That's my question for you today at the Radio Backyard Fence. And here to help me is Susie Larson. She's written a new book called Closer Than Your Next Breath. Where is God when you need him most? 877-548-3675. So you get to be under the microscope, Susie. Hmm. When have you felt the nearness of God? How would you answer that? You know, this topic is so important to me because, you know, I was raised in a denomination where I the gospel was not presented. I knew God was real. I had a sense of his presence as a child, but I didn't know Jesus was accessible. So I didn't have a saving knowledge of Jesus until I was a teen. And as I often say, even then, I, once I understood the gospel, I knew I was saved. I didn't know I was loved. So I, I really felt like I was almost in on a technicality. I, I didn't understand the fullness of, of God's heart towards me. And it was, I was in college and I was riding a van home with a bunch of other students. And I don't remember which book it was of Watchman Knees, but I was reading a Watchman Knee book. And I, I can't explain it, Chris. I encountered something of God where I, it's almost like everybody else sort of was beside the point. I had this moment, <clears throat> excuse me, where I had like a life review. And I realized that everything, everything I'd ever done in my life up to that point 
was to rescue my sense of self-worth. And you know some of my backstory had some trauma at the hands of some teenage boys as a child. And so even though I was a decent athlete in high school and I could sing in the choir and I served on the student council, I was misusing all of my time, treasure, and talents to try to prove something that God had already proven. I, I, I was saved. I didn't know I was loved. And in this moment, instead of saying, no, you're kind, you're good, like God trying to convince me that I'm loved, he revealed my filthy rags. I... It was a God moment. It was like my whole life appeared before me, and I felt so broken that Jesus paid such a price, and I was still striving to save myself. And I put my hand over my mouth, and tears escaped my eyes, and the other friends were like, you okay? And I, I just like, I, I shook my head like, I can't talk. And for three days, I could barely speak a word because of this cleansing, purifying work. That is what changed me, really, in such a profound way to know that I'm saved and I'm loved. And it still would be a much of a journey after that. And I write about a few other instances where God just intersected my story. And what it reminded me again is that, you know, we are made in his image. And when his spirit is alive in you, you're going to, in Romans, it says his spirit speaks to our spirit and confirms that we are God's children. Those are amazing moments. But when God intersects, and you see it all over scripture, when God intersects in a story, you've got a decision to make. Will you bow? Will you get stiff and unteachable? Will you bow and put your hands open? Will you respond or will you react? And I think it's important to know how to steward those moments when you do experience God. But it's just as important to know how to steward the times when you can't feel him. And we can talk about that, too, in a minute if you'd like. Yeah, and I want to go to that um, that moment then when you were overwhelmed and, and overcome for a few days. Is there a a desire to define that then is that's his presence that's his work in my life I need and all of my life needs to be at that level I mean it sounds like you you moved on from that and you don't do that but there are some who would say I have to live in that perpetual uh, inability to talk in order for God to be real to me Boy, that is a fantastic question. That's excellent. I appreciate you asking that because that's what it means to go from sensation to sensation. And we're not made for that. I mean, we are still on this earth. We still have boots on the ground and there is a daily grind of life. I mean, look at Joseph. I mean, he had a vision, he had a dream, and then everything seemed to go south while he was in preparation. And there was the daily grind, you know, as as a servant, a daily grind as a prisoner. And yet it was the stewardship. Then you think of like Zechariah. He and Elizabeth had a deep desire, but they still went about their daily duties. And when the angel finally did intersect the story and say, God has heard your prayer, well, the thing he was asking for was about to happen, yet still he was overwhelmed. So there was a dailiness to his duties that when God finally did intervene, it surprised him. And I think we've got to hold the tension. It's a holy expectancy, and it's a humble dependence where we daily steward what's in front of us. And honestly, I don't think we'll ever mature if we're just living from sensation to sensation. And I think that's really important. Well, that's what faith is. You know, if you li- if yeah. you live by from sensation to sensation, then you don't have to have faith. You know, if if God were right here in front of me, I could see Him, or Jesus were right here right now, I don't have to have faith because he, He's right there. I, I see Him. It's when I don't see Him. Exactly. Blessed are those who believe. You know, and haven't seen. Um, that's where we exercise that faith muscle, and where discipleship comes in. Right. 
Yeah, so true. And in this uh, book, Closer Than Your Next Breath, I wrote, there's an old devotional. I need to pick it up again, but I lived in it because it's a devotional for sufferers, for those who battled, and I battled a lot health-wise, and it's called Streams in the Desert. And in that devotional, there was a, a story, and I relay it as I remember it in this book, of a woman who had a dream. And in the dream, there were three women kneeling down in front of Jesus, and the angel standing by the woman in the dream, and the angel says to her, Watch with, watch Jesus with these women and tell me what you see. So Jesus goes to the first woman. He lifts her chin. He holds her face in his hands and rustles her hair and speaks tenderly. The second one, he kind of rustles her hair but doesn't say anything to her. The third one, he looks away and walks away. And the angel turned to the woman and said, what did you see? And she said, well, the first one is all in for Jesus, and he's affirming all of her life-giving choices. The second one is one foot in and one foot out, and he's just affirming the things she's doing right. And the third one is squandering her calling. And the angel said, you couldn't be more wrong. The first one is a brand-new baby believer who relies heavily on affirmations, confirmations, the senses, the signs, the fist-sized clouds. The second one is maturing. And Jesus is weaning her off of always having to feel good to feel God. And the third one is being trained for greatness. And that never left me because, I, you know, there are, it's exactly what you said. I mean, there's got to be a way to walk going, I have a confidence in God, even when I can't sense him, even when I can't feel him. However, I do want to say, if you're in a silent season, I think there are ways to handle that. And my first line of defense always, Chris, is to pray Psalm 139, to, because there's sometimes you're not doing anything wrong. You're just in a silent season, and you're learning to trust God by walking by faith. But there's other times you may think he's being silent, but you're not listening, or you're harboring a grudge, or you're undermining authority. So I always start with Psalm 139, search me, O God, know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts, and point out anything in me that offends you, lead me in your everlasting way. And there's times when I do that, Chris, where I won't even realize it, but I will maybe have just started to feel irritated with a politician or or feel afraid about the future or something that's been lingering in my soul that's unresolved. And that's what's really kind of plugging up my spiritual ears. So I do think it is wise not to just endure and bide your time and go, well, this is life on the planet. If you're in a silent season and God seems silent, start there. Yeah. I uh, I want to come back to a minute in a minute uh, when you said in on a technicality. I'm kind of stuck on that, <laughs> but I, I want to go to our phone calls, 877-548-3675. When have you felt the nearness of God? Dave's in Ohio. Dave, why'd you call today? Um, hi, Chris. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, maybe a little bit of a different take uh, for me, perhaps. I, there's been several times in my life where I felt so tired alone. I, I cry myself to sleep. So, but it really developed a sympathy and empathy in me for when other people are alone and isolated and they're hurting. And an uh, example that I have is goes back to the early 2000s when I retired from a nice job in the automotive industry. And I took on a retirement job as a church administrator. And, of course, handling the finances, I soon came to find out when uh, offerings were low, money was tight. Pastor wouldn't take a paycheck, but the other staff did, and that really bothered me. So, it, you know, I, I told him straight up: if you're not going to take a paycheck, I'm not going to make take a paycheck, and I can make it happen because I wrote all the checks, you know. And within two or three times of doing that, it's often his heart where he and I sat down and started taking a look at how can we spend our money more wisely to free up some cash flow, you know, from spending it this way to being able to meet you, and very quickly, 
we got to the point where that man for the rest of his ministry never missed a paycheck, never mm-hmm. missed a deposit in his retirement account. He he did retire. Uh, he's now passed away and with the Lord. But it just, you know, um, sometimes the Lord uses other people's hands, like mine, if you will, to come alongside somebody when they're lonely, you know, and, and, and just... Sometimes it's it's another human being that brings that presence of the Lord to you. And, and I was glad yes. that I could be there for that pastor. Wow. That's really interesting. Susie, respond to that. I love that story. I love your humble heart. And I think you make such an amazing point. I mean, some of the guests that I've been covering on my show recently have said, we can't mature or become the people God intends us to be outside of community. We need each other because we all kind of carry a portion of God's burden, a part of his revelation. And so for you to come alongside and say, this is not okay. And even to put yourself almost in harm's way to say, if you're not getting a check, I'm not getting a check. I just think that is just powerful. And I just honor you. And I really do believe that if we could maybe see ourselves as the kingdom people we are and say, you know what, wherever I go, you know, the kingdom comes with me. So Lord, who do you have me to serve today, to love, to lift their chin, to speak a word of encouragement? I think if we stopped underestimating the power of our presence in the world, I think things would change. And I'll just add one last thing. It makes me think of uh, It's a Wonderful Life. You know, George Bailey had just one bullseye of what his life had to look like to be effective. I have to travel. I got to have those stickers on my suitcase. All the while, God is like building up this beautiful life around him. But he was so angry to the point when the world kind of dropped out underneath him, he wished he'd never been born. And it was the angel that showed him, look at all of what would happen if you weren't here. I mean, your presence actually resisted the enemy, kept the enemy at bay. And um, I think that if we could truly see that, that what, if we're being kind to our neighbor, if we're loving the lonely person on the street, I mean, what evil is not happening just because we're so aware of that we carry the presence of God with us and the heart of God with us as well. Yeah. Val says on Facebook, during times of loneliness, I sometimes feel like he's sitting next to me, just mm. being near. And then Bill says, when I arrived at the bottom with no hope, my health I had a stroke, my wife left, family mm. member attempted suicide. God touched my heart to turn to him in that season. It wasn't immediately, but it was over time. As it turned out, the lowest part of my life became the highest. And I think that would have been my answer. It's in the, the valley of the shadow, you know, yeah. in those deep, dark times that I have experienced his nearness more. And I don't think that he was any closer to me during those times. It's just that I sensed it more then because I... I needed him more. Does that make sense? It does. And he's near to the brokenhearted, you know. And uh, I think, as you said, we have a heightened sensitivity to our need for him. When things go well, I think we tend to loosen our grip and loosen our sense of utter, total dependence. But I am interested in, and I did explore this on in the book, the proximity thing of God, because Scripture does talk about he distances himself from the proud. He draws near and gives grace to the humble. He's near to the brokenhearted. I just think that's interesting. And it's like he's omnipresent, but he does respond to our hearts. Our hearts cry. And when we turn to him, he's got an ear bent towards us. And that should amaze us. Yeah. What about those, somebody who's listening today who says, I, I don't sense his presence. I, he doesn't seem to be, spe- I read the Bible. It's not, it's, it's not like those times that I used to have. What, what do you do at that moment? 
Mm. Well, first of all, I wish I could wrap my arms around you and give you a hug. And I think we've got to pray God sends you a friend like the gentleman who just called who can walk alongside you. But again, my first line is is to pray Psalm 139, just to search my heart. And, you know, my friend Maria says it this way, if God shows you something, repent and then roar. And if he doesn't show you anything, roar. And what she means by that is to say, remember who you are. You're a child of God. Remember who he is. He's your father, God. And this season will not last forever. So you remember in the darkness what he told you in the light. I love to journal because I like to I paraphrase scripture. I write them out in prayers. I'll write things I sense I'm hearing from God. So when I'm walking through such seasons, I not only go back to the word because it's always living and breathing. He's always speaking in his word, even if it doesn't feel like it's speaking to us. It's his word. But I like to go back to my journals, too, and remember some of the things I heard him say so that I could just go, I'm going to keep walking. His character is his character. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the last thing I'd say about that, dear friend, is if you could peel the sky back and take a glimpse into the you know, eternal spiritual realm, you would see a father who sings over you. That's what scripture says. Psalm 139 says he has more thoughts towards you than the, than the grains of sand. Every thought he has towards you is holy, that he counts the number of hairs on your head, delights in every detail of your life. So you would see a father very taken with you. You may see him pointing to angels and commanding them on assignment because of prayers you prayed some time ago. So even if you happen to be in a season where the clouds are especially thick, you know when you get in the plane and you come above the clouds, the sky's still blue. The sun is still shining. Those things are very much in place. If you're in a season where he's silent, he's still good. He's still moving. But I do say, don't just bide your time and get an attitude and get offended with God. Steward your heart and all the stuff that comes up in a time like that, and keep walking and keep believing. Yeah, and write it down, too, because God is not afraid of of the feelings inside, and he may meet you. never know. He may meet you right there in what you're pouring out to him. Closer than your next breath, Susie Larson's with us, 877-548-3675. talking about the presence of God today, the nearness of Him, and how He sometimes works through other people. I'm so glad that there are some dedicated people hard at work all this week, and then on toward the end of the year, who are gospel-infused folks with a pro-abundant life message from men and women who are going through an unplanned pregnancy. Since 2008, CareNet has helped save the lives of more than a million children they, there's a network of 1,200 pregnancy centers that have served more than 300,000 women and men this year, and will do the same next year and maybe more, with free ultrasounds, free pregnancy tests, pregnancy decision coaching, options counseling, material support. They decide to, to, to uh, keep the child themselves. Then there's parenting education. There are dads who are learning how to be dads through CareNet, and there's a whole lot more. If you've ever heard the mantra of the other side that says, you care about the babies until they're born, I want you to click CareNet at chrisfabrylive.org today. There's a whole other world out there. And I said, uh, you know, it's free counseling and free pregnancy tests. Ain't nothing in this world that's free. Somebody's paying for that. So the folks that are volunteering there and who are giving at CareNet 
are helping out, they really believe in that message. If you've never heard about them, go to chrisfabrylive.org. Click the green CareNet button today. Again, chrisfabrylive.org. Susie Larson's with us, Closer Than Your Next Breath. I have to go back to that, uh, <laughs> that phrase that you said, I felt like I got in on a technicality. When you said that, what do you mean? <laughs> Nobody's ever stopped me and asked me about that, but it's just, it felt so true. So when I was a teen, again, I, I had a sense of God's presence growing up. I just I just knew God was real, but I didn't know Jesus was accessible. And it was uh, I was at a slumber party with girls in middle school, and a bunch of them decided to sneak out and meet boys, and there was just no way I was going to do that, especially given some of my backstory of trauma with teenage boys. So I stayed back jokingly with the two girls who smoked, but they wanted nothing to do with me either. So they're sitting in their sleeping bags. I'm sitting across the basement in my sleeping bag. They went to the local Catholic school for education, so they were mocking what the nun had said about the book of Revelation and about the end times. And I'd never heard anything like that before. So I'm kind of leaning in, eavesdropping, and they're like, oh, as if that's going to happen. And they were talking about the judgments and the seals and the bowls and all of that. Never had heard anything like that before. I think I was in seventh or eighth grade. I went out, uh, sat on the picnic table under the stars, and I said, God, I know you're real, but if there's more to you than what I know, I'm going to start reading the Bible. If I think it's kind of boring, so if you can snazz it up. We have a deal. <laughs> and that's where I picture God rubbing his temples, going in on a technicality, because I'm, I didn't know what I was praying. But as I read the Gospels, I fell in love with Jesus. And I must have asked him into my life. I mean, I, I was privately, covertly reading the Bible because of the particular denomination we were part of. And uh, so I, it was just truly me reading my Bible under my bedsheet going, oh, wow, Jesus died for my sins. So I, you know, and as I as I started to walk with them a little more and started to learn about other people who follow Jesus, you know, I've learned about so many of the different rules on the way you come to Jesus. And I must have asked him into my life a thousand times because I just didn't know if it stuck because I was just so young in my faith and didn't have the kind of support that so many take for granted. Uh, so I really did feel like that until I started to understand that God so loved the world. You know, we can't jump high enough, so love came down to rescue us. And uh, the more that I started to understand God's willingness to save and Jesus' victory on the cross, the more then I began to just decide to believe, to accept acceptance. I literally had to do that because I think I had so much a sense of deep rejection in my spirit just from stuff I'd mm-hmm. walk through that I literally had to take the leap of faith to go, in Jesus' name, I'm deciding to accept acceptance. Because what more could he show me that he loved me? And um, so, yeah, that was a nagging lie for a long time. And I felt the same thing, this mm. technicality thing. The, wow. The, because uh, I, I can believe, I, intellectually I can believe, okay, God commended his love to us. I can theologically wrap my mind around this. I can believe that God loved me, commended his love for me. But how do you love somebody like me? You know, how do you, he can, he can love me okay, because he has to, he said he was going to do it, but uh, he's bound by himself, you know, he's sworn by himself to love me, but does he really like me? Nah. You know, if he had the chance to spend some time with me, you know, to go go on a walk, would he do it? No, of course not. You know, I'm a jerk. And then to re- to get over the hurdle of no, wait a minute, you don't understand. <laughs> He's he doesn't like you and and is uh, calling you his friend because of your performance. He's 
he's commended his he's he's leaning closer to you he's listening to you he affirms you he loves you because he's made you his own it's all it's all from him that he's mm-hmm. doing this drawing me and so then it's like wow the light bulb goes on and it's and you realize no god god really does not only love me he likes me he wants me to to come to him every day so that nearness then starts with a response for, well first it's it's his action and then a response from me that's where you the choice comes in right I I love that you said this, because I would submit to you that many seasoned Christians walk this earth who know they're saved but don't know they're loved. And if you think he merely tolerates you, you're not even going to draw near to his presence. If you think he's rolling his eyes and breathing a heavy sigh, you won't really care much about his presence. But when you understand, that's, I guess, why I wrote the book, is to make a case for God, his character, his heart for you, because then in the silent seasons, you don't doubt his love. In the speaking seasons, you have a holy fear in you to go, I need to steward this well. And I truly think that if we think he's indifferent about us, if we think he really doesn't care where we work or what we do, uh, it will deeply impact how we relate to him. Yeah. Closer Than Your Next Breath by Susie Larson. It's our featured resource. Click through today's information right there, chrisfabrylive.org. Stewart's in Wisconsin. Stuart, I'm glad you called today. What do you want to say? Can, can I wipe my tears first? Mm. What you you sure can. What was it? What oh, was it about God. that that got you, Stuart? Um, I'm sorry. Um, wow, you touched a nerve on me, <laughs> my dear. Um, I've been saved over 40 years and I had learning disability when I was young and at 10 years old, I asked my mom, why did you, why, why did God make me this way? And so I did repent, uh, just recently about that. I, I looked back on what I said to God and, and I realized I need to repent to God on that one particular issue because even 10 year old can be responsible for his relationship with God. So I, and then through the years, fast forward, I'm, I'm a Marine. I'm a United States Marine. I was in a service for 10 years and, and thank God, uh, put me through all that to, um, assure me of who he is in me, the authority and the, the awesomeness of his authority. And there's, there's a structure in God's purpose, uh, for our life. And I know this all, but then I just lost my wife in uh, um, March of this year. And all of a sudden, it's like 20 years with her, 20 years. And she did all the bookkeeping, and she did all that thing, and and I was zealous. I I really uh, loved the Lord, and I've always encouraged her because she was a woman that didn't know how to be loved and, and and when I married her I knew this but this is the woman for me so I I I married and we were married 20 years and and so I I walked her through the last two weeks of her life and I didn't regret it they let me stay in my work 
my work abided by it. And but now I'm doing the books, and I don't the one I don't want to. <laughs> I'm an administrator. I, I'm not an administrator, but I'm doing it. I'm more of a construction. I, I would rather do 50 push-ups than 50 sales, <laughs> whatever. But when she, when you guys were talking, it just touched me so that she is so like I would speak to people. That's who I am. I'm a people's person. But when when she passed, it kicked my butt. Yeah. Sorry. Um, I'm, I'm, I don't, Nothing I to apologize more, for. More elaborate than that. Yes. Yeah. But it kicked it kicked my butt, and I, I'm I am in a place where I'm thinking I am growing actually. Yeah. But I'm at a level that I'm not familiar with, and and I believe you you brought it into perspective where the lower level I was filled, I was zealous, and it was good. But now it brings me to this level where, where am I? Brokenness. So, There's a it. brokenness there, Stuart, that you're talking about, and a dependence that you, you didn't experience before. And it can be kind of disorienting and, and uncomfortable to be where you are, too. Um, but it sounds like you're you're really moving toward his heart. I want to give you a chance to talk, Susie. Go ahead. I, I would say, Stuart, that your dependence on God is your superpower. That's what my husband says. And I was listening to you talk. I mean, your God-imprinted identity, the way he formed you from the beginning, all the adversity that you have faced is giving you so much courage to be a man on the wall, you know, in the armed forces. And I think that is like a visual, a metaphor even, for where you stand in the kingdom. And if you look at some of the greats in Scripture, how they were thrust into seasons they never saw coming, didn't want, but it was so formative in their faith, and it was for the bigger story. And the one I'm thinking of especially was Joseph when there was a dream written over his life, and it looked like he was so betrayed, and he was betrayed, and he was, you know— you know, taken as a slave. And yet in Psalms, it said, God knew there would be a famine in the land, so he sent him on ahead. So it looked like from a natural perspective, he was set back, but he was actually sent on ahead. And I think as you're walking through this, you're forging something with God that people in a comfortable life are never forced to reckon with. And that's what I mean. And what Chris said, too, is that you experience something of God in a way you can no other way. And so you are going to keep you're walking through grief, you can't sprint through it. But I, I agree with, with Chris, you're also experiencing something of God because of his pleasure over you, his fatherly love for you. You're going to get through this, and you're going to know things you wouldn't have known otherwise. You're going to develop skills you didn't have before. You're going to land on your feet. You're going to prevail. The enemy will not have the last say. And I am just praying with all my heart that you continue to get just a sense of his incredible fatherly love for you and his pride over you. Yeah. Stuart, I want you to hang on. I'll have Gabby get your information. I'd love to send you a copy of Susie's book, Closer Than Your Next Breath. It's our featured resource. There's something that happened right as you started to talk to Stuart and you said, wow. And you, you just, you didn't talk for a minute. And in radio, you're not supposed to let that happen. <laughs> and, you, you know, it's, they call it dead air. It's like, but there was something happening right there 
with the loss of your wife. And at Mm -hmm. that point, we didn't know what was going on. But with the loss of your wife and with the way that God has pulled you closer to himself by his power and through the struggle that you've gone through, that you let us into that. So thank you, friend, for calling today. Again, hang on. Gabby will get your information. And if you go to chrisfabrylive.org, you'll see that book, Closer Than Your Next Breath. More straight ahead. Tomorrow at the Radio Backyard Fence, Johnny Tata is going to be with us. Then we're going to talk about Thanksgiving on Wednesday and Thursday. You've got to hear Wednesday's broadcast. It is just filled with these hymns and songs and biblical allusions and going all the way back to the Puritans. Throw in Abraham Lincoln. Got a great program there. And then on Thursday, uh, a best of broadcast. And then on Friday, a best of with Beth Moore. So what more could you want? Susie Larson, Closer Than Your Next Breath is today. We're talking about the nearness of God. There's a, the last chapter is God remembers, God forgets. Tell me what you mean by that. You know, that is my favorite chapter of the book. And I open with a short story of when I used to be a fitness, uh, trainer, a fitness instructor, and I managed some group fitness departments. Years later, when I left fitness and was just full-time ministry, one of the gals who was on my team came to one of my conferences, and I didn't know her to be a woman of faith. And after, in between the sessions, we caught up, and she said, Susie, she goes, do you remember back when you were my boss? And she said, I was walking through that divorce, and you gave me that $100 for groceries. Do you remember that? I sat back and said, I don't remember that at all. But you know what I remember? Every idiotic thing I ever said and what I was wearing when I said it. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, the point I'm making is that we so continually remember the things that God has decidedly forgotten, and we keep forgetting the things God has distinctly asked us to remember. And in that chapter, I look at three people from the Old Testament, Abraham, Sarah, and Lot. And Abraham was promised, you know, the future generations would come through his seed, even though he was a man in his old age. Sarah nags him into sleeping with the maidservant because God wasn't acting fast enough. When her plan backfires, even though her intended goal was to have the maidservant have a child, but that woman makes her life miserable, she yells at Abraham and says, God's going to decide between you and me, you know, who's right and who's wrong. And I'm picturing him rubbing his temples going, you told me to do this, right? And then you've got Lot, who got wealthy under Abraham's leadership, to the point where the herdsmen, you know, and multiplied and their flocks multiplied, the herdsmen started to bicker. And Abraham is the one who had the humility to take the initiative to say, let's not let this come between us. You choose whatever land you want, I'll take the other land, which again, just shows his humility and his initiative. And so Lot chooses the best and choicest of land, even though it meant he'd camp among the ungodly. Well, when the angels come to tell Abraham that he will indeed have a son, and then they go on, the Lord lingers with Abraham, and the other two go to pronounce judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, and Lot sees them. They're going to sleep out at the city gate. He says, he knows how wicked and evil the town is. No, you've got to come home with me. Well, the town had become so deplorable that the town's men, young and old, came to the door, pounding on the door, saying, let your guests out so we can have sex with them. I mean, it's R-rated, literally. And Lot says, oh, please don't do such a thing. He says, I have two virgin daughters. Take them and do what you will. Do what you wish with them, but please don't dishonor me by doing this to my guests. Now, as I write in the book, 
Of course, I know hospitality was a big thing back then, but how low do you have to stoop to offer your daughters to the ravenous crowd? And I parallel, Abraham was willing to offer his son to the Lord. Lot was willing to offer his daughters to the crowd. But the angels took over by the power of God, blinded the mob, and shut the door. And I'm trying to imagine behind the scenes, and you're a novelist, but I tried to write it in novel form, where the daughters are behind the door going, wait, what? Dad, no, what, what? Realizing he was about to destroy their lives. But the angels blinded the mob. And what I ask in that book, in that chapter is, if the evil in that town was that palpable, and the power of God's presence was that tangible, wouldn't you want to listen to what the angels had to say? But Lot negotiated. I mean, he negotiated, and even his own wife turned to salt. And that story didn't end well. So if you step back and look at all three of these stories, just in the Old Testament, I would go, yeah, Abraham for sure is saved. Sarah, I'm pretty sure about her. Lot, he's a poser. He's totally not saved. (laughs) But then you jump to the New Testament. In Hebrews, Abraham and Sarah are listed in the Hall of Faith. History records their unflattering antics. But heaven remembers their faith. And this is amazing to me, that, that God's grace is so powerful and so scandalous that even though, you know, Scripture says they gained a good reputation because of their faith when the stuff they did would have been reputation records. And then you look at Lot, that he tried to warn his sons-in-law, and they, he lost so much credibility when he was warning them about a judgment. They thought he was joking. There was, he had camped so long among the ungodly, he literally lost his influence. Yet the New Testament says he was bothered daily because of the wickedness around him. Who knew? God knew. And I want to just say, if you've got a prodigal out there camping among the ungodly, if there's a spread of faith in their hearts, God knows about it, and he will go after them at the right time. And you can trust him. That's the that's the thing that we keep coming back to uh, yeah. in this hour and with every program we do, Susie. God is worthy of your trust. And if you cannot sense him, if you don't sense his nearness, it feels like he's a million miles away or he's not speaking to you like he used to speak to you or you can't hear him. He's there. Get Continue to get into his word and let somebody come alongside you and put their arm around you and tell you the truth about you and about him. And that's exactly what you've done in this book, Closer Than Your Next Breath. Where is God When You Need Him Most by Susie Larson. It's great to get to catch up with you again, Susie, and what's rolling around your soul. Mm. Thank you for being you, and you keep being you, my friend. Thank you. All right? Thank you, my friend. Thanks for having me today. Susie Larson, again, our guest. You can find out more at the website, chrisfabrylive.org. Click through today's information, and you'll see that book uh, linked right there, Closer Than Your Next Breath. You can click the CareNet button, the green CareNet button, too. And uh, you can also support us at the back fence. Find out how you can be a friend or partner with us there today. Thanks a lot for your support. Come on back tomorrow. I guarantee you, you're going to be encouraged again by Johnny Tata talking about the practicing the presence of Jesus in your life. And we'll do that right here on Chris Fabry Live, a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute, online, chrisfabrylive.org. Org.